Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the general points that comes up at a number of places in Seneca's treatise on the shortness of life is not to be or to allow oneself to become preoccupied. And this is a translation for the Latin term occupatus, meaning focusing one's attention, one's mind on something in particular, probably a whole bunch of things. And Seneca is not saying, well, don't ever focus your mind on anything, but the preoccupied spend their life, the time that they actually have, the most precious commodity, on things that don't really merit that level of attention. And they do it in ways that are bad for them. And why? Because they consume the life that they have, which could be a a vast span of years. And as Seneca says, more than ample for anything that they would want. They turn their life into one that becomes all too short. And Seneca, you know, points this out in chapter 10. He says, I could come up with many arguments to demonstrate the life of the preoccupied is very short, but instead I'm going to make a frontal attack, not with little pinpricks, not with a bunch of little arguments here and there, but he says, nevertheless, for the preoccupied to be censured for their distinctive failing, they have to be taught a lesson, not simply given up for loss. So that tells you a little bit about what's going on in the book. It's not just for philosophers, it's for everybody. It's for anybody who might be getting, whether they realize it or not, sucked in to a preoccupied life. And it's not the very first place that he talks about the preoccupied. We're going to come back to those in just a bit. But I think it could be good to focus on chapter 12, where he raises the topic and he says, do you maybe want to know who I'd term the preoccupied? And he says, you know, we've got people that we can clearly say are okupati, right? Who are preoccupied with things. For example, lawyers driven out of the law court only when the watchdogs are finally let in for the night. People who are like putting in countless hours in the law court or those patrons you see crushed with either impressive display in their own crowd of admirers or more contemptuously in someone else's crowd or those clients whose duties summon them from their own houses in order to dash them against the doors of others or those the praetor's spear keeps busy for disreputable gain which is today someday bound to fester. So we got a couple different kinds of people. So the client patron relationship which is very important in ancient Rome. You can think of it as like having people who are your entourage, people who are your hangers on. That's a busy life, right? And that's uh, kind of a, a problem. He goes on and he says, it's not just those people. Even the leisure of some people is preoccupied. And so he gives you a few examples that, you know, apply to ancient Rome. But I think we could think about in our own time, in their country retreat around their couch in the midst of their solitude, even though they've withdrawn from everybody, they are troubling company for themselves. They can't be on their own and alone and be successful in that. They're always looking for distractions. He says, this is not being leisurely, but a life, and he uses this a couple different points, a life of idle preoccupation, right? Idle 
in the sense that you're, you're not being compelled to do anything, but you can't enjoy that time that you actually have to yourself and you preoccupy yourself with all sorts of other things. And you've, you've seen this before. People who literally can't sit still and just be alone with their own thoughts. They always have to be on their phone you know, checking one app or another, or they have to be twiddling their thumbs and looking at them and doing things with their body, or they have to be looking around at other people and wondering what they're doing, right? Starting conversations with random strangers. So he gives a whole bunch of examples of these. Do you say that a person is at leisure who arranges with meticulous attention to detail his Corinthian bronzes, right? So this could be anything that we collect, right? It could be statistics. It could be sports memorabilia. It could be magic, the gathering cards, anything that a person can obsess about. What about the person who sits at the wrestling ring, enthusiastically watching boys brawling, who separates the troops of his own well-oiled wrestlers into pairs? of the same age and skin color, who maintains a stable of the freshest athletes. This is like somebody who actually owns a wrestling group. They're obsessed with it, right? They're constantly moving people around. Nothing is ever just good enough for them. What about people who spend many hours at the barber? Well, any overnight growth is trimmed away. Solemn consultation has taken over every separate hair. Disheveled locks are rearranged or thinning hair is combed forward. And he says, you can tell that they're preoccupied because they get ticked off really easily if the barber is a little bit too careless, right? And he goes on about this. What about people who are absorbed in composing, listening to and learning songs. We might ask about this in our own day where we have an entire vast music industry that caters to us. We can listen to almost anything that we want to. And some people just obsess about this sort of thing, right? And he goes on to say, what about banquets? I not class their banquets among leisurely pastimes because I see how anxiously they arrange the plates, how they gather up the tunics of their servants at table, how they're on tenterhooks to see how the boar turns out from the, the cook. And he goes on and on and on. People are throwing parties or, you know, feasts. They're not at leisure either. They're preoccupied, right? So a lot of people, as he's going to say in section 13, he says, it would be a long business to run through the individual cases of people who've spent their whole lives playing checkers or playing ball, basking their bodies in the sun. People whose pleasures put them to considerable work are not at leisure. He gives a very funny example that I think perhaps some people can relate to, not just in academic pursuits, but in all sorts of other things where people quibble about stuff and have to show how smart they are. He says, nobody will doubt that those who devote their time to useless literary questions, and we've got a lot of these in Rome, are busily engaged in doing nothing. What would be examples of these? Worrying about how many rowers Ulysses had, whether the Iliad or Odyssey was written first, whether they belong to the same author. Seneca says, I mean, these are interesting questions, but are they really worth wasting your time on? Maybe not so, because they're not helping you to live a better life. Coming back to his first mention of the preoccupied early on in chapter three, he tells us that there's all sorts of vices that we are going to be subjecting ourselves to. And this is, you know, going to be a considerable problem. He's already mentioned a number of these back in chapter two. Vices assailing and surrounding us on all sides. They don't allow us to rise again and lift our eyes to the clear discernment of truth. They keep on dragging us 
back in. Even having wealth can be a great burden to us, right? And so he says that think about people who pretend that they're going to live forever. How much time do they lose to groundless anguish, foolish pleasure, greedy desire, the charms of society? How little is left to you from your store of time? You're throwing it away. You're throwing away this most precious commodity on all of these other stuff. And he's going to go on and say, one of the problems with the preoccupied is that they actually can't appreciate and spend their time doing things that are really worth doing. So this is in chapter seven, he says, everyone agrees. No area of activity can be successfully pursued by someone who is preoccupied. And so a little bit more literally, no area of activity can be pursued well, can be executed well. The Latin here is nullum rem, no thing, bene exerci, can be executed, can be seen through. Bene means well. So you can, you know, he's going to use the example of rhetoric, right? You can study rhetoric. You can go online and watch all sorts of YouTube videos about Aristotle's rhetoric and Cicero's rhetoric and Seneca's own rhetoric and think that you're quite well versed in this sort of thing, but you're just kind of pissing away your time. You're frittering it away. You're not actually buckling down and learning it. And you could be preoccupied even in learning. You could be like, oh, I'm learning the rhetoric. I'm going to be such a great lawyer. And you're filling your head with all these daydreams, not paying attention to whatever you're studying. He also talks about all the other liberal arts as well, the things that we call the uh, humanities, right? And we can say this even about technical skills like coding, you know, you're probably, I mean, you can learn coding while doing other stuff, but if you're distracting yourself, you're probably not going to learn it that well. You're not going to learn it as a human being does, not just as a bunch of stimulus response things or a checklist, but an activity that we can participate in. So that's a, an important consideration. He also talks about times, right? A lot of preoccupied people are ignoring the present that they're supposed to be, you know, enjoying and focusing too much on the future in ways that are kind of unproductive. So he will say, for example, this is in chapter nine, can there be anything sillier than the view of these people who boast of their foresight? They're too busily preoccupied with efforts to live better, live better in the future, they plan out their lives at the expense of life itself. They form their purposes with the distant future in mind. The greatest waste of life, he says, lies in postponing. It robs us of each day in turn, snatches away the present by promising the future. That's what we see lots and lots of people do, unfortunately, not living for the time that they actually do have to, to live a bit. He goes on as well and talks about people who are praying for a long life. Old men begging their prayers for an additional few years. They pretend they're younger than they really are. They flatter themselves by this and they deceive themselves as if they deceive fate. But they cry out that they've been fools because they haven't really lived. They'll live in leisure if they only escape their illness. But they've already 
thrown away much of their life. There's also a discussion in chapter 16 as well, which is uh, quite important. And this is in talking about postponement, right? So when we are looking forward to something, not so much in the distant future, but in the near future, we can easily get ourselves preoccupied with that. He talks about people who complain that the hours pass slowly until the appointed hour for dinner arrives when their usual preoccupations fail them and they're left with nothing to do. They don't know how to apply their free time or how to drag it out. So they move on to some other preoccupation and find the intervening time burdensome right? Any postponement of something they look forward to is long to them, but the time of actual enjoyment is short and fleeting, made shorter by their own fault. They desert one pleasure for another and cannot persist steadily in any one desire. So this is a big problem, right? And what ends up happening is they render themselves unable to enjoy or appreciate the present that they actually are in and could be in a non-preoccupied, a leisured way, enjoying, right? And spending wisely. So this is a, a significant issue. He also talks about some of these people being focused on the present, but being focused on the present in a way that doesn't actually help them. So he says, the present time is very brief, indeed so brief that to some people it seems to be non-existent. It's always hurrying on. The preoccupied are concerned with the present alone and it is so fleeting it can't be grasped. Even that little amount is stolen away from them because they're pulled in so many different directions. Sometimes they'll do things like worry about, are they really appreciating this? Are they making important memories? And this leads us to another very interesting thing that Seneca points out. They like to make memories. They like to think that they're setting up a store for themselves, but they're really not because preoccupied people, as opposed to those who are better oriented in this way, can't really go back into the, the vast resource of our past. This is in the course of Seneca's discussion of the three times, past, present, and future. He says that it takes a tranquil and untroubled mind to roam freely over all the parts of life. Preoccupied minds cannot turn around and look backward. Their life disappears into an abyss, just as it does no good to pour any amount of liquid into a vessel if there's nothing at the bottom to, to receive and keep it. It makes no difference how much time we're given if there's nowhere for it to settle and it's allowed to pass through the cracks and holes in the mind. You know, somebody who does in fact make memories and revisits them, has this entire wonderful past. We can even use other people's pasts. He talks about the philosophers offering us entire ages. That's not available for the preoccupied person, even if they have a library with everybody's books or courses online teaching them about everybody who, who they think is important. If they can't actually dwell in it, it doesn't do them any good. And preoccupation prevents dwelling, you could say. There is one other point that we'll close on. You know, Seneca is addressing this to a friend of his, Paulinus, and he tells him that, you know, you're really allowing yourself to be preoccupied with all this work that you do for the granary and making sure that people are, you know, fed and, you know, the grain is coming in. And he tells us that the plight of all preoccupied people is wretched, but most wretched is the plight of those who labor under preoccupations that are not even their own. 
whose sleep schedule is regulated by someone else's, who walk at someone else's pace, who are under instructions in that freest of activities, loving and hating. So, you know, when you see somebody, as he says, taking up the robe in office or a name well-known in public, don't envy him. These people are taking on responsibilities that cause them to be preoccupied. He has examples of these earlier in there, which include some pretty famous, important people. And so, you know, what is the, the, the ultimate goal here? Seneca wants us to understand what's so problematic about allowing ourselves to become preoccupied with things that in the long run don't really matter or they don't matter to the degree that we give them our time, our attention, our very life. Instead, we want to be carving out for ourselves some scope of leisure, not preoccupation. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.